Welcome to the School Connect podcast. At School Connect, we know it takes a village to help every child reach their full potential. So each episode, we'll hear stories of normal people who became heroes, solving community problems in powerful and creative ways. We know these stories will inspire you to create the change you hope to see. I am Tracy Beal. I'm the Executive Director of School Connect, and welcome to our podcast today. I am so excited to have a co-host, Tim Tiller. Tim has been involved as a, a really valued partner for several years, probably about five years with School Connect. At yep. one point, he was actually the chairman of my board. So he's just really impacted me and School Connect in amazing ways. And so, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. So excited to be here, Tracy. What a journey it's been over the last several years to be partnering with you and to see School Connect flourish from where it was just five years ago to where it is today. And to be at a point now where you have a podcast and all of the things that are happening across the country is just so exciting. So I just I just say thank you to you to allow me to be a member of that journey. So super excited about today. Yeah, what a blast it's been. It's been a wild ride and a good ride. So today, I'm so excited to get to introduce a great friend um, and partner at School Connect, Dr. Lupita Hightower. Uh, Dr. Hightower is the superintendent of the Tolleson Elementary School District, and we're so glad to have you today. Thank you so much for inviting me to the podcast. So Lupita, one of the questions that that really, as I've gotten to know you, I wanted to first ask you was about your childhood, about really kind of where you grew up, what that context was like, maybe even how you knew you wanted to become a teacher and even your journey into education because it's such a powerful one. So can you share that story? Absolutely. And uh, Tracy, I once had a mentor that, uh, basically shared and asked that we should be able to share our journeys um, mm -hmm. so our folks that we work with understand it and understand where we're coming from uh, when making decisions. So I'd be happy to share that. I grew up in a very loving family in Nogales, Sonora, Mexico, a very large family. My mother comes from a family of 20 kids. My wow. dad from a family of 10. Wow. <laughs> And I had 35 cousins on each side of the oh. family. So I grew up with 70 first cousins, my best friends up to when I was a child. Just a, just a beautiful family. Uh, we didn't have much, especially when I was uh, younger, but we had each other. And even though my mom and my dad didn't have a formal education, uh, they both had about an eighth grade education. So not a formal education. I do consider my dad as the wisest, smartest, kindest human, and, and my mom as well. So my grandmother, uh, even though she had uh, 20 children, she would <laughs> always have people at her dinner table. Um, and it would be folks from marginalized communities that were not accepted. And sometimes mm -hmm. it would be pastors and priests at the table. So people that were really well regarded, it didn't matter to her. She would give her shirt off her back. Mm -hmm. My mother is the same way. I feel like I'm the same way as well. And um, my mom and my dad have five children. I'm the oldest of five. So I joke with my siblings that I'm number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That's a good way of being number one, I will tell you. Yes. And um, when I was a child, I dreamt of being a teacher. And I remember since I was in kindergarten playing with all these cousins that I had and creating these classrooms with stones and sticks and uh, teaching them and, and having this uh, dream very early on. On my dad's side of the family, he did have uh, sisters that were formally educated and went to school to be teachers. So I had them as role models. And then in the sixth grade, I had a super impactful educator who had the highest expectations. And her name is Profesora Dolores. Profesora Dolores uh, is still alive. And I'm so happy to share that during the pandemic, I shared a picture on Facebook. One of my governing board members had gifted me a, a T-shirt and a hat. And in it, it read the word profa, because that's what we call this teacher. So I posted it on Facebook, and um, many people started making comments about uh, being an educator, being a teacher. And one of my former neighbors from when I lived in Ogales, Mexico, commented on it. And I remember that his wife was a teacher and asked, asked him if he could find me the phone number of Profesora Dolores, because I had gone back to the town to find her, and I was uh, not successful. So it was such a joy, Tracy, to call her mm. and tell her she's 87 years old. Oh, my gosh. And did she not know that you had become a teacher and a superintendent? She didn't know. And she also didn't remember me. And I thought she would. <laughs> <laughs> so you just were one of the hundreds of children that she was inspiring every day. That's exactly how, how it happened. And she was so gracious. And we were on the phone for over 45 minutes. Uh, she shared with me that she had gone on to be a principal and a principal supervisor. So I was able to share with her that her high expectations, ridiculous high expectations that she had, <laughs> had inspired me and that I had followed in her footsteps. And wherever I go, I share her story. And she was so grateful and so happy and I'm hoping that now that the pandemic uh, situation is getting better that I actually get to see her in person. Amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. So Lupita, when you were a child, even though you had these aspirations, were there some things that got in the way? Most definitely, Tracy. So it was a very difficult challenge to start uh, going to school in the seventh grade in the United States. I had been a very successful student in Mexico and I had really good grades. And starting school in the seventh grade as an adolescent and not knowing the language was definitely a challenge. And in addition to that, we had some teachers that really believed in me and pushed me in a very positive way. But we, I also had teachers that didn't believe in me and motivated me in a more challenging way. So one of the stories that I always think about when I was in the second grade, I had a teacher who was bilingual, but she would never use Spanish in the classroom. So the teacher said in Spanish, so we could understand her, all the lazy Mexican kids that should be coming to tutoring in the morning instead they go and play basketball. I don't think she had a bad intention, Tracy, but she was really trying to motivate us to go to tutoring. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed. And I thought, oh, my gosh, let, wait a minute. I was 12. <laughs> so I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I am Mexican, but I'm not lazy. And I have to show this teacher that I'm not lazy. So I better start showing wow. up to her tutoring sessions instead of going and playing basketball. 
And the main reason why I was going and playing basketball was because it was very difficult to be six, seven hours in English um, school without understanding the language in a single stream type of program. So then um, I started going to tutoring and I started doing uh, really well with my classes, with applying myself, with grades. So then I started getting the honor roll. And even though I didn't use the language a lot, um, I was doing well academically. And to make that long story short, um, I ended up graduating uh, first of, you know, after four years, um, ended up graduating early uh, from high school and ended up graduating uh, as, uh, as number one, as the first one in the, in the class and was able to give a speech to my classmates. And then after that, I was like, oh, my gosh, I really want to be a teacher. And my parents were like, no, you can be a teacher. Um, you should go into business. My dad at the time had started selling blankets across the border and had started doing really well so that, like, you know English and you help your dad selling blankets or jewelry. Uh, you're going to have your life set. So I listened to him and I went to a trade college for a year for a business degree, but really didn't enjoy it. And then after that, I uh, went to Pila Community College where I continued my business classes that I didn't enjoy, but I was uh, following um, my parents' advice. And then our situation changed significantly and um, was basically undocumented. And then the college wanted to charge me uh, international fees that we couldn't afford. So I remember going to the uh, registrar's office and a secretary by the name of Rosa at Pima Community College said, uh, I'm going to help you out. I said, I love school and I still love school. That's why I'm still in school. But I said, I, I, we can't afford this international tuition. And she said, I'm going to help you out. And a few weeks later, Tracy was late 80s. I don't know how she did it. I know immigration system is is very fractured, um, <laughs> but she was able to give me a social security card and number. At the time, being young, I didn't know that it was um, a legitimate social security card, but I was just happy that I could pay in state tuition. And I know it's a difficult story to share, but um, it was legitimate. I didn't know because at the time, there are times that undocumented folks have to work. They call it under the table, get paid less because you don't have the right paperwork. And um, again, young woman, um, but she really had wow. such a huge impact in my life. I tried to go back and find her, and I was not successful um, in finding her just to thank her for truly uh, changing my life. Wow. I then started at the University of Arizona, a great university. I absolutely loved it. Uh, my dad is a huge fan of basketball, and uh, that's when Lute Olson was wow. at the helm of the basketball program. So. He calls it La U of A, La U of A. So four out of the five siblings went to U of A. <laughs> and um, in the, at the university, I had a lot of professors who were believers and who would make comments like, Lupita, you're going to come yeah. back and take my job someday. Or I had a professor who asked me to stay after class one day, and, and he <laughs> said, um, Lupita, have you ever yeah. thought of getting your doctorate? I'm like, no, Dr. Guerrero, I just want to get my bachelor's. He's like, you should think about that. It is, and planting the seeds uh, with with our students. And um, but then I also had a professor at U of A who wrote an evaluation form that she doubted that I would be able to step into a classroom because when I speak, I speak with an accent, and one of my classmates agreed with her. 
And I still have that form and that document. And it was really hurtful. So I remember going to uh, an advocate at uh, the University of Arizona. His name is uh, Dr. Salomon Valdenegro. He's a huge activist and, and advocate. And uh, he worked at the time that center was called the Hispano Chicano Latino Resource Center. They have now changed the name to the Cesar Chavez Resource Center. And I went and talked to him and I said, Dr. Valdenegro, I don't know what to do. I'm involved in this situation and my dream is to be a teacher and getting ready to graduate. And this professor says that I will not be able to do that. And he said, uh, Lupita, uh, you have to let her know that that's not okay. And I said, I don't know how I can do that. I don't even know if I can face the professor. So I wrote a little script and I called the professor and I shared with her that I used to be embarrassed of my accent, that I used to be embarrassed to speak up and speak out, but not anymore. Mm. That I was proud of my accent, that I was proud of who I am and that it's part of me <laughs> and part of my story. She apologized. She said, Lupita, I wasn't trying to insult you. I just thought maybe you could take some speech classes, but I will never make a comment such as the one I make to you to anyone. And that was very um, impactful, and it was meeting the mission yeah. of what Dr. Valdenegro had shared with me. He said, she can't do that again. So I felt like it was mission accomplished. Empowering to stand up for yourself and speak the truth even to somebody who had so much influence and power. Most definitely. I was able to get a job right away at uh, Tucson Unified School District at C. Rose Elementary. And... I could not believe that I was hired to be a teacher. My first contract, Tracy, was $21,000 a year. Wow. How long ago I was, was that, Lupita? It was 1997. Wow. So I remember looking at that paycheck and thinking, they're paying me to do this job. <laughs> I can't believe it. Like, how blessed am I to actually get paid to do something that I absolutely love? Yeah. So I, I loved it and I couldn't believe it. I felt like I was in heaven. <laughs> that is so cool. That is so cool. Teaching the students. But after a year of teaching at C. Rose Elementary, my husband had finished a second degree from the University of Arizona in management information systems. There were not a lot of jobs um, in MIS in the Tucson area. So he got a job in the Phoenix area. And we started building a house in the Deer Valley Unified uh, School District. So I thought that it would be fit for me to get a job um, as a teacher in that district. So I remember going uh, to an interview and the principal in front of a panel of teachers told me that they didn't need people like me in her district. <gasps> oh, and painful. It was so painful, Tracy. So I left the interview crying. I called my husband, who is my biggest supporter and cheerleader, mm. and I said, Ken, you will not believe what just happened. So I explained to him what had happened, and he said, don't worry about it. They're missing out on a fantastic teacher, and they don't know it. School Connect believes each community has incredible resources we can access to address the challenges schools face. Our time, talent, and expertise are what makes a village of partners around a school successful. Are you looking for an opportunity to make a difference? Come join the village. Schoolconnectaz.org. And that and that's so true, I think, in, in our lives. And oftentimes I think that we approach life in this fairy book, fairy tale perspective of everything just happens. And when you see 
someone's life as it is today, you don't see all the things that led up to that. And I think one thing that would be as powerful for me listening to your story that I'm sure our listeners can resonate with is the fact that there were so many things that were obstacles that were placed in front of you, just like each of us, whatever we're trying to accomplish in life, our visions, our dreams, our goals, obstacles always come up. And I think what I'm learning from your story is what you do when those obstacles are presented. Because, you know, as I hear all of the different points of your life where mm-hmm. there were an, was an obstacle, you had a choice. Your choice could have been to agree with whoever, whatever people had said things that were against what you were trying to accomplish, or you had the choice to challenge that, take what they said, do some self-reflecting, and then determine how do you course correct so that you can get past that obstacle onto the next. And I think that's what's so powerful so far about your story mm-hmm. is that common thread of obstacle presented, a choice made, the right support system around you to be able to continue to move forward. And I think as we think about those in our sphere of influences, who are those people that either we're throwing obstacles mm-hmm. or, um, in front of or who are those people that we're helping remove obstacles? I know as a leader, my goal and my team is my job is to bust walls and carry water. And if I can do that for you, then you're going to be able to move forward. And that's exactly what you're talking about. And um, I would say it's kind of interesting that that individual you talked about didn't remember you, right? But yet yeah. you remembered her so profoundly, so profoundly. It's a reminder to us that there are those out there that are watching us and are and are having, we're having an impact on their life in ways that we will never, ever know. And it really is sobering to think about everything we do and say, what happens right there? And I think that kind of leads to this next question of your approach to your kids at Hope program and your kids being treasures. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, it's interesting as I hear your story and I can envision, you know, 70 cousins, and I can envision that dinner table. It's very clear that that's probably where you learned the treasures perspective. Uh, most definitely, Tim. And thank you for articulating and sharing those beautiful words. That teacher had such a huge impact on me that um, I have a, a vanity license plate or a personalized license plate, and it reads Profa in her honor. So I see it every single day, and it is in her honor. And when I do share my story with our treasures, I always tell them just that uh, you have a choice. You know, you're going to have your cheerleaders and your supporters, and you're going to have some detractors, but the power lies in what choice you're going to make. So in our district, uh, we are such huge believers in the Kids at Hope belief system. We reject the word at risk. We do not see our treasures and our kids kids as at risk. We see them as at hope in which they bring the talents, the skills, the intelligence, and all these gifts and assets to our school district. And it's up to us as educators to tap into those talents as skills, intelligence that they bring, to have high standards just like that Professora Dolores had for me, and the students rise up to those expectations and those standards. But uh, growing up in a large family, as you mentioned, 
and having so much love and support around us. That's what we want to create in our school district. We want to create every opportunity as early as possible in an elementary school district where we have preschool through eighth grade students, create as many opportunities as early as possible for our treasures. So we always say we have to believe in them at a 10, a nine won't do it, a 9.5 won't cut it. We have to connect with them. And every single treasure has to see another caring adult in addition to the caring adult that they have in family or guardians at school and we have to make sure that they get interviewed and that they're able to articulate who's another caring adult at the school and then we also talk about having high expectations opportunities for them to succeed and um, also teaching them to time travel to the future not only in education and career in hobbies and recreation um, in home and family but also in community and service even though it's an elementary school district and they're younger than 14 years old, we want them to have opportunities to start providing that community service uh, and to see themselves as um, making a difference in that area as well. You know, what I think is so amazing about what you just said is the fact that you usually find what you're looking for, if that makes any sense. And oftentimes, I think we underestimate that confirmation bias perception in our psyche. We find what we're looking for. And when you just said your kids are treasures, they're not under certain, what was the disadvantage? Sometimes people use the word at risk. Um, at risk, right, right. And so the fact that you have a culture where our paradigm, our lens is gonna see treasures, we're not gonna see at risk youth changes the dynamics radically. And I think as I'm sitting here listening to that, I realize the lens in which I look through things determines potentially someone else's future. Most definitely. And, and there's also a lot of strategy and, behind and the truth. Yeah, and, and, but you've, you've, you've made the, the conscious, again, choice, the decision to, to determine that as an organization, as a district, we're not going to have that risk use. We have treasures. Yes. What a powerful, powerful paradigm. And as a parent, wow, for a district to look at my kid the way that I do as a treasure and for them to see my kid as a treasure and not just another at-risk youth, wow, I wish our society in general functioned that way. Thank you, Tim. Wow. Thank wow. you. And, and uh, we take it very seriously. We always say we be, we believe at it. It's not only a statement that are made, it's practiced. So something that makes us very proud is that we haven't expelled a single student in the last 10 years. And we've only had one long-term suspension. And it was a difficult decision um, to long-term suspend uh, one of our treasures. And we put so many strategies and so much work behind it. And at the end of the day, um, it still happened, right, in, in the last decade. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of work and a lot of strategy behind it um, with, our, with our staff. We have lost uh, staff members to that belief system and that philosophy, but we've also gained many. And we also have staff members that have left the school system and have returned because of the belief system. So they have shared things with right. us as, you know, I went to another school, another uh, district, another charter, but they didn't believe in kids without exception. And, and mm -hmm. it, that was not okay with me. So that's why I'm back. 
you've created a thermostat. You've set the thermostat for your district and it makes some people comfortable and others uncomfortable. And so when you think about that, you know, if I'm someone listening to the podcast and it's my job to create that type of thermostat or that environment in the organization I'm in, be it schools or businesses or where else, if you had to, if you had a listener who was here, what are the two most important things that you would communicate them to them to be able to replicate that type of intentionality in building culture that drives that paradigm? I would say it's critical uh, to have the belief system and really believe in. Um, sometimes um, I have talked to uh, board members and said, you know what, our treasures are going to test us to see if we really believe um, in them without exception. And when uh, the rubber meets the road, they have to know that you are for real mm-hmm. and that you do believe um, in them without exception. And then also having that, that high expectations for them, that we care so much about you um, and in many cases, and I, and I do, I mean, I see them almost like my grandchildren, that we love the kids, but we have to have really high expectations for them to succeed. So every morning after the Pledge of Allegiance, the students recite the Kids at Hope Pledge, and in it they talk about, I'm smart, I'm talented, I'm capable of success, I have dreams for the future that I will climb to reach, um, reach them every day, because I'm a kid at hope and I'm capable of success, no exceptions. But then the adults also recite a pledge right after the student's pledge. And they say, as an adult and a treasure hunter, I am committed to search for the talents, the skills, and the intelligence that the students bring. Uh, because we believe that every single child is capable of success, no exceptions. So you have to have those high expectations for them. And then, of course, all that strategy behind it, the strategic plans and all all the work that our educators do. Right. But the the really big takeaway there is the power of affirmations. I think oftentimes, you know, you hear in the self-help community and then kind of making yourself better is the, the importance of affirmations. And most likely for some of those students, that's the only time that they hear an adult feed that back to them to make that verbal commitment. And, you know, whenever you hear that over and over and over, that has to start to reframe and recode the brain whenever they're saying it. And when they're hearing it, you're basically building neuropaths within the brain that are changing the way that they think. And that's an amazing thing to think about what's what's happening there. How, how, how would you say other districts or other folks around you is this taking on? I mean, because it seems like this should be something that every district should be doing, right? Is it just since is it just true to your district, or is this happening elsewhere? No, Tim. Um, it's actually happening in a lot of the West Valley school districts, um, and even the city of Tolleson um, adopted the Kids at Hope belief system as a city and provide resources and training for treasure hunters and also for treasures uh, through different um, conferences. Uh, but Avondale is a Kids at Hope district. Uh, Littleton is a, a Kids at Hope district. So the philosophy and the belief system has definitely expanded um, to other places and, and not just the uh, Tolleson uh, district and the city of Tolleson. Well, what's really interesting to me, Tracy, and you might make this connection if you haven't already, I think the whole core of School Connect 
is looking for treasures in the community, mm -hmm. right? And partnering them together to build a stronger organization or a stronger community. So whenever you think about what, what Lapita is doing and what's happening from a treasure hunter, kids at hope, how does that connect to what School Connect does? Because you're a treasure hunter. Exactly, exactly. Because there's treasure all around schools. So there's treasure inside the schools. That's what, what Lupita has been talking about, recognizing that. But there's also amazing businesses and faith communities and nonprofit. There's fire departments and police departments and, and neighborhood you know, specialists. There's all these people who are incredible treasure to bring to a school. Um, Lupita, I know that you believe that and that you have been working with us to really bring those community partners that other treasure to join with the treasures that you have at your school. Can you describe a little bit about what community partnerships mean to you? What Tell some stories about how the community has really loved on and, and cared for your kids. Absolutely. It's a huge um, difference maker. And it's, it's a key for so many programs and opportunities for our treasures. Um, you may be aware that in Arizona, the per pupil allocation is lower than most um, of the states ac across the nation. So we couldn't do it without the partners. We definitely could not do it without um, the partnerships that we have. And there are many, Tracy. We are so blessed and so fortunate um, to have partnerships uh, with folks like Banner Children's Hospital that has a children's clinic for the uninsured and anyone under 18 um, can access it. All they have, the only criteria is that they don't have medical insurance. Wow. It's, it's incredible, the connection with School Connect, uh, the connections that you have been able to make uh, with so many schools and school districts. We have a very specific mission a lot of these partners, nonprofit, faith-based businesses have their own mission. And when you're able to connect and align these missions to support our students, our treasures, it makes a tremendous difference. Um, the re a recent partnership with uh, School Connect and Scottsdale Bible Church, being able to provide laptops to, to our students, um, that's huge. Mm. Uh, but we couldn't do it. We could just not do the work that we do if we didn't have um, the partners in the community. Um, but I'm grateful to School Connect that you're able to do just that, to be able to make that connection so it's mutually beneficial uh, for these entities and then also for the school district, but ultimately to support that mission of the school district. Do you find yourself um, regularly being able to kind of share your, your philosophy of Kids at Hope, of treasures with those community partners and see the light turn on for them as they start serving? the school district and the kids? Most definitely. And, and the city of Tolleson is a perfect example. They're such huge partners. And many times uh, cities, they have their own uh, responsibilities and expenses, uh, but they're such believers in the work that we're doing uh, that they have um, invested a significant amount of money for after-school programming mm -hmm. for the last 10 years. And they have... Um, started donating and investing a significant amount of money for preschool programs in our district when the preschool development grant from the federal government went away from Arizona. 
and uh, they they believe in the work that we do. Just now, before this interview or this podcast, I was um, at an event at one of our schools where the organization Feed the Children and the hope and resources that they want to bring to the community. And I shared with them our Kids at Hope Belief system and the alignment um, that's there. They're going to be bringing a pantry uh, for our families and our community, um, which is so helpful. But they're also creating this distribution center where they're going to have resources for teachers uh, to be able to go and, and get school supplies. It will be in Chandler, but one of our governing board members, who's also a teacher, said, I'll drive wherever I need to drive. Uh, <laughs> and it's not only that um, that, the, that the schools may, may, may not necessarily have the funding, but our procurement process is so complicated that it takes so long for the teachers to be able to go through, through it to get those resources. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then your kids are getting the opportunity as well to give back, right, through that program? It is, they, they are. So every other Saturday we have a community service opportunity with our Stella's Farmers Market where we partner with St. Mary's Food Bank and the students and the community members are there at uh, 6.30 in the morning unloading the St. Mary's food truck, um, loading the food into boxes, and then there's a drive-through where more than 300 families uh, drive up, they get their food, but their their examples and their role models um, in, in seeing that, that type of effort. They also uh, participate in collecting uh, food, mm-hmm. um, canned goods uh, for St. Mary's Food Bank, and then they come back to the community, but they're also giving back. Such a powerful picture of that circle, right? It's not only for me to receive, but also to give, and that is just reinforcing uh, the the vision of their them being treasures and have something to offer their community that is powerful, isn't it? It's so true, Tracy. And then when Scottsdale Bible Church uh, was at one of our schools to be able to provide this very generous donation of laptops, um, it was for the school to use, but we also started with one class where the students, second grade students would actually be able to take the laptops home. And we had uh, first one student and then two students that came up to us and said, what about all the other second grade classes? Are they receiving this generous donation wow. and these gifts? which really made made us shift uh, our thinking and said, yes, we have to make that happen for the rest of your classmates, even though they are with other teachers and they didn't have the opportunity to participate in the event, but they were really looking out for the other kids. That's so cool that, that because kids begin to see themselves differently, they're being taught how to be generous toward others, that they have something incredible to offer and they want to expand that generosity, right? That is exactly what you're hoping for, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Kids at Hope believing in each other. Most definitely. That's so cool. Um, well, Lupita, gosh, it's just been the best time getting to talk with you about your story. Again, I really appreciate that because um, as Tim mentioned, it feels to me like so many people face all kinds of obstacles on their journey. Oftentimes they feel like they're very alone, like nobody else that they look up to has had to face those kinds of things. So to hear that story is just especially powerful. And now seeing how you're using your story to help other children who face those kinds of obstacles break through them as well. So we are honored to be able to get to work with you and the Tolleson elementary school district and then you are also on our school connect board 
So we want to say thank you to you for uh, that investment because you give us understanding of um, how superintendents are experiencing the needs of their uh, their schools. You help us understand what's happening in the minds of principals and students. Um, and then as you represent the Latino community, you help us with understanding cultural uh, elements of how we can serve together, uh, you know, powerfully. But anything else you want to say to our audience today, Lupita? I'm just incredibly grateful to be able to participate in this podcast and that just uh, to believe in kids without exception. Mm-hmm. They are our future and they do come back and they do mention uh, these affirmations team, um, kids that are in college, kids that are already professionals and and they see what a strong connection that is. So believing kids without exception. Yeah, I would say, you know, as we're wrapping this up and I reflect on our you know last 30 minutes of conversation, I'm taking away three very specific concepts that I've known about, that we talk about, that are out there. But the first one is to embrace adversity, mm-hmm. is that adversity is always going to be present. And oftentimes, I think we live in a perspective of we need to move away from it. And I think what your story has demonstrated to me is that you plowed through adversity. It came like a storm and you plowed through it. You you hunkered down, you, you, you went through the storm and you came out of the other side, which is just a very big reminder to me personally of leaning into adversity. I think the second thing is, and I will say this is probably not something that I have connected with until today, was the power of affirmations and the importance of making sure that that becomes a routine. Because at the end of the day, whether we intentionally do it or unintentionally do it, we all have affirmations. Mm -hmm right? When we get up in the mirror, all of us look in the mirror and there are things that go through our head automatically without even thinking about it. And so it's really taking a step outside of ourselves and saying, what are the current affirmations that are happening in my life that I'm not even realizing that I'm either projecting or that I'm communicating to myself? And the third thing is for me, the impact of our choices. You had so many opportunities in your journey to make a choice that potentially would not have you here on this podcast today. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, I'm so thankful for those tough choices that you made in your life that have gotten you to where you are today that now are impacting hundreds, if not thousands of students, teachers, staff, parents. And at the end of the day, the community that you serve is different because of your choices that you made so long ago. So thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of that story and for us to be able to benefit from all of that adversity and choice making that you made along the way. And Tracy, thanks for letting me be a part of this conversation. It's been enlightening. And uh, I'm just super excited about how this is gonna impact those who are gonna listen to it and make changes. What a privilege. Thank you again, both Tim and Lupita for this time together. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the School Connect podcast and for being part of our village. Be sure to follow, review, and share this podcast on your chosen platform because more collective voices equal more progress for our kids. If you're interested in finding out more about School Connect and seeing how you can make a difference, go to schoolconnectaz.org for more information.